when there's debris falling, flying through the air and trees moving and when there's water that's moving. You know, seriously, we, we really need to be in prayer, not only for our area, but especially for Texas and Austin and the places there was flooding and there's been so much loss of life. And, you know, uh, God promised he wasn't going to destroy the whole planet this way with, with uh, water and all, but we've had more than our share. So I think it's really a good thing for us to just, you know, in your prayer time during the week to be interceding and praying for those that are in difficulties and if there's a way to help others to do that. I think that would honor the Lord and, and uh, be a great testimony and witness to others in any ways that we can help those that are in need uh, from the severe storms, tornadoes, and all the rain that we've had coming in that. Okay, turn, if you will, to the book of Acts. Last Sunday was Pentecost Sunday, but since we had a special guest speaker who was one of our own, uh, Delana Rimsky, before she was moving off and she and her husband were going up to D.C. with his new posting there um, for the military and the Air Force. So we had a great, great time. Thank you for all that helped in bringing the potlucks and uh, all the meal that was there. And we just spent a good part of the day just, just fellowshipping. And Delana had a powerful message, and we made a lot of copies of it. And I've actually made more copies than we put out labels. So if you run out, let me know. I'll, I'll be glad to do some more, but that's there. But last Sunday was Pentecost Sunday, so I really felt like the Lord impressed me that it was important that we go ahead and, and do that because every time that we have a Pentecost Sunday, I always like to um, um, preach on that subject, and, and so we're going to address that today. Um, today's message uh, that we're going to be looking at is, is wrapped around the Holy Spirit, that that's, that's our focus, that's what we're, we're, we're seeing today. And then literally, the, the best title is Come Holy Spirit. Just Come Holy Spirit. And of course, that's a very uh, known topic in the vineyard. But as we go through here and we look at the book of Acts and we remember Pentecost Sunday from last week, we're really rem being remembering and uh, focusing upon the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's our heart. That's what we, God wants to do in us. Also this week, as I was praying about what to share and then praying about beyond that, I really felt like the Lord spoke to me, and this is kind of a funny one, okay? And I'm not sure exactly what all it means, but I felt the Lord say this phrase to me. You know, he wanted me to do, I don't know, a message or a series or something on this, Back to the Future. And it has nothing to do with that, with that movie show, except that that's what the Lord told me is Back to the Future. And I feel like that in a way that this message is the start of that because I believe what the Lord's going to bring from that as we work our ways through it is, is as we're looking forward, we also need to look forward to where the Lord wants us to go, but we're also looking backwards in some places to see things that, that maybe the Lord wants us to pick up or to adjust or, or to allow him to release his presence or anointing in that. So we'll, we'll be talking about that. But today, it's come Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the book of Acts. We thank you for the coming of your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, that, that you came and you died on a cross, but we thank you that you were raised from the dead and that you came and spent time with us and prepared the disciples, preparing us, gave us your words, but Lord, that you released your presence and your power. And I pray that this morning as I speak and teach, that as we listen and we hear you, that Lord, you would release your presence and your power among us today. And Jesus, as we go through this, prepare our hearts throughout it, 
as we celebrate the communion at the end of the service. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The book of Acts, probably those of you that read your Bible a lot and if you have, like I do, where you go through it uh, lots of times through the year and that sort of thing, um, it's, it's something that's familiar, but it's, it's something we need to remember, and we can pick up little gems or items that we haven't seen in that. And Acts 1, verse 1, uh, this is, of course, starting being written by Luke. It says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. And so what we have here is we have uh, Luke as the writer of this epistle. We know Luke wrote two books. This was the second of two books. And um, he's writing it to Theophilus. Now it's interesting, Theophilus was someone that he was close to and had relationship with. But it's interesting because in writing to Theophilus, Literally, that word Theophilus can be translated friend of God or loved by God. That wouldn't be a, I'd kind of be a strange name to have to explain to people, but wow, to have a name that means friend of God or loved by God. And that, so this is who that Luke is writing it to. He's writing this down for there, just like he did in the Gospel of Luke. So he takes us through Acts in that. But in that, it's kind of a history for us with some commentary that he has that helps us understand what the Lord is saying. And so in verse 1 and 1 and 2, we, we saw that it talked about that Jesus began to do and to teach, and then there was impartation. And we're talking about the book of Acts, and we're talking about the falling of the Holy Spirit upon the individuals and families and the church and the body of Christ. That's a lot of what it's all about. The coming of the book of Acts and the anointing and the, of the Holy Spirit and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was that not only was Jesus doing and teaching and that sort of thing, but that, that this very process of the coming of the Holy Spirit and the following of the Holy Spirit was so that we could do that, so that we could walk in it, so that we could be participants in it. John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard and uh, a beloved mentor that we had for so many years till he went home to be with the Lord, you know, he always talked about that. He always talked about doing this stuff, and he always talked about uh, one of his favorite phrases is that everyone gets to play. And he wasn't just talking about the nursery, you know, or... or softball or something like that. But he was talking about that the, the gifts of the Spirit and the, the invitation of the Spirit and, and the anointing and empowerment of the Spirit that came in the book of Acts, that this wasn't just for the disciples of that day. This just wasn't for the apostles of that day. This was for whosoever will, for whosoever would embrace and, and, and allow themselves to be touched by the presence and the outflow and the power and the as it were, almost the, um, the baptism that we'll talk about of the Holy Spirit that came in that. We see that this is a promise of the Lord. In chapter 1, verse 3, it's, as we said, it says, After his suffering, he presented himself, to Je this is speaking of Jesus, to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them, and this is to, the, to those that, uh, that were involved in that process, says, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion while he was with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy, Spirit's, with the Holy Spirit. You know, one of the hardest things for us, whether it's a promise of God or an invitation of God or just even things that they don't have to do with, with the supernatural, just natural. 
Some of the hardest things for individuals, and it seems in the body of Christ, is to wait. Is, is, to, you know, is to hurry up and wait, you know, to be at peace and, and not to do that. And, and so many times, I, there, there's many times I believe that, whether it's my own life, my own devotional life, or lives in church and everything else, that, that there's so many times I feel like that if, we, that if we had just waited another minute or waited another five minutes or waited, given an opportunity that the Spirit was there and that so many times that when we come together, it's like the room is pregnant with the Holy Spirit. And we may not can see it with our eyes. We, we may or may not feel or, or understand or comprehend the presence of God is there. But I just wonder how many times that, that we miss and that, or that we stop just short of what the Lord really wants to say and what he really wants to do. And, and I think the book of Acts and, and then as we go next week to Back to the Future, that we'll be able to focus in on that a lot, lot more. You know, Jesus had during the time that he was raised from the dead that he had gone and he began to, to share with others and, and to spend time with them. It says, as we read, over a period of 40 days. And when he was doing that, he was again teaching much as he was before this about the coming of the kingdom of God. And he, as we said, that he had told the people, don't leave, stay here, stay together. You know, the, there, there's just something sometimes that comes over us where the Lord wants to move and in his time he wants to move. But, but a lot of times his moving means that we need to stand still and we need to wait. And it's just like, I don't know, it's, it's like something comes on us, you know, when waiting is hard. Waiting is really, really hard. And sometimes it's hard to wait even when the Lord is saying or doing something. He says, okay, just, just wait on me here. It's like, a, have you ever spent time, says, Lord, I'm going to just spend, you know, I'm going to spend uh, 30 minutes a day praying. And so you just go before the Lord, and you're praying, you're praying, you're praying everything you can think of. You get through, wow, that probably was 45 minutes. And you look down, and it was two minutes. <laughs> was, oh, the Lord compressed it, you know, or whatever else of that. Sometimes we just, yeah, we just said it so fast. Say, say it again. That, that's not a bad thing at all. But, but we see in here that, that the Lord spent this time, he spent this time convincing all these that he was alive and that the Lord had resurrected him and that there was a future kingdom of God that was being released and everything that was involved in that. And so he had told them very clearly. You know, he told them, don't leave. He said, verses 4 through 5, he says, don't leave Jerusalem. You know, there's a phrase that I think that sometimes applies, and it can certainly apply to, to non-believers, but it can apply to believers. or can apply to pastors or anyone. Jesus said, don't leave Jerusalem. You know, wait, wait until the coming of the Holy Spirit. And the phrase that sometimes that that I see, and what you see, this kind of strange, but to apply it here, is a phrase called wanderlust. You know, sometimes we just have this, we gotta go do something, we gotta make something happen. We got just, we're so pressed. Uh, I forget who it is, but someone that, a wise person I'm sure said one time that, that we miss so much of the presence and the coming and the anointing and the work of the Holy Spirit because we feel driven to do something. Well, guess what? Jesus never drives us. He never drives us. He was the great what? Shepherd. And how did the shepherd do? What did the shepherd do? The shepherd led his sheep. He cared for his sheep. He, he did that. I, I've shared before, but I think it's good to reference it here again. I had a professor that uh, when I was at ORU and he had gone to Israel. And while he was in Israel, he was on a tour bus and he was looking over and he saw all these, these lamb and these sheep going and, and the, person was, the person was beating him and everything. And, 
and, and he was just really puzzled. So he asked the tour guide, he said, I don't understand. You know, I thought the, the shepherd led his sheep. Why is he driving these sheep? And he said, oh, so those sheep are going to the butcher. It's not the shepherd leading them. It's the butcher who's driving them to their death. You know, and then I, that's always just hit me so profoundly is that, that the Lord leads us. You know, he may have a gentle push or he may, he may, you know, continually impress to us what we need to hear, what we need to do. But when we feel driven, it's, it's not the presence of the Lord. It's not the presence of the shepherd. And so Jesus told them, okay, I'm, I'm here and don't leave Jerusalem. But after a while, that wanderlust hit them and they just had to go because originally from what we kind of put to, scholars have put together in looking at this, that originally there were as many as like 500 people that, that experienced this time of, of, of where they were to wait for Jerusalem and wait there and wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit and all. But when we look at the numbers a little later, it looks like it dropped way down to like 140 or so of where people were just, just, oh, it's something, you know, it's not happening, it's not happening, and so they just left. They just left. And, you know, can you imagine if you'd been one of the ones waiting for the coming and outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and after a few days or whatever, with someone else, you said, ah, oh, it's not going to happen. It's, you know, it's, it's this, it's that. He missed that one. You know, and you just walk out, and then after you walk out, poof, there comes the Lord, presence of the Holy Spirit, and that. You know, I just don't ever want that to happen. I don't want to be, oh, I just missed it. You know, I, w- I want to be in tune and in focus, in sight and hearing, and, and from the presence of the Holy Spirit that in God's timing in this. And so we see this, and, and as we're looking at this, um, chapter 1, verses 6 through 11, Jesus said, um, let's, let's start a little above that. It says, do not believe Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of the Father's promised that you've heard me speak about. John baptized with water. In a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They gathered around him and said, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? It's interesting that in this time when Jesus is with them and he spent all this time with them, you know, as he's about to pull away, they, they start asking him a theological question, but for them much more. It's like, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And what was their mentality in that? Their mentality in that was basically, are you going to overthrow the Romans? Are you going to overthrow all those that are, that are coming against us and all those that are pushing against us? Are you going to put the Jews in the place of authority over everyone else? You know, and it basically this wasn't God's time for that. And as you look at the history of, of the Jewish people and the persecution and everything that's there, and, and I believe that we should always be praying for Israel. We should always be praying for, for God's covering and, and his wisdom and his anointing and his safety in that and in that whole process. And, uh, but they, his response was, it's not for you to know the times or the dates. I, I would say instead of response, that was like a gentle or stronger than gentle rebuke. When they said, Lord, Lord, you know, When's this going to happen? Are you going to give us the kingdom now? And he said, basically, hush. You know, be still. It's not, this is not, don't worry about that. That's not what we're looking at now. Because he goes on in verse 8 and says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And so, so we see this. And it's interesting that if you took 
and you drew a little circle where you had kind of like a bullseye that you would have for a bow that you would shoot in that. And if you drew those out, you could see here that, and, and where the inside circle would be Jerusalem, and then after that's Judea, and after that's Samaria, and after that's the ends of the earth. So basically when Jesus is talking there, and he says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, that was like where they were then. That was where the Jewish people were gathered, those that had come on the day of Pentecost, those that were there, and, and so that was like the inner circle. But he said, this has got to spread, and it was going to go from, from there, from Jerusalem to Judea, and then to Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And it has gone to the ends of the earth. It's come all over the earth, all over the world, and it's continuing to do that, even in uh, difficult, dangerous places, uh, China and other places. I've, I've, I've read before studies that, that there are Chinese and others that will go uh, far, far into the wilderness and just spend times and spend days worshiping the Lord. And there's actually mighty revivals that are going on. And in these revivals, the people that are going know that if they're ever captured, they'll be killed. But their heart for the Lord is so strong. You know, we, we fuss at inconvenience. And yet there's so many in the world today, you know, that are martyred, that are losing their life for that. And it's interesting because one of these phrases um, that, we, that we saw in here talks about that. You know, it says that basically it's saying to us that we, in a sense, will be martyrs. We will be given our hearts. We'll be given our lives and whatever the Lord is calling us in that place. And so we have this thing that goes on to the ends of the earth in that. You know, one of the things it talks about is to the uttermost parts of the world. And uh, someone I once read talked about the, not only the uttermost, but the guttermost. You know, that, that the pouring of the Holy Spirit came you know, and it, just, and it just went outward. It went to everyone in that. Uh, an author that I used to love a lot, uh, his name of Judson Cornwall, um, when he was talking about this uh, one day, and his, I think his grandson was there, young grandson was there, and so he was talking about the power of the Holy Spirit and the gospel and different things, what they were doing all up, and he said the young, the young grandson all of a sudden yelled out, Gory! Instead of glory, he's trying to say glory. He said, Gory! And Judson said, you know, he might be prophetic there. <laughs> he may have just prophesied to us in that. You know, the uttermost part, and, and what Judson followed that up with was sometimes it's the guttermost part. You know, that um, we love the times that we've done our mission trips and, uh, you know, uh, Costa Rica especially because, you know, Costa Rica was a wonderful, beautiful place. We had great ministry and everything there. When he went to Colombia, it was a lot harder, wasn't it? You know, and, and physically and, and emotionally and, and warfare and everything else and the difficulties, although we saw some, some work of the Lord that came in that. But this is part of what we understand. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit was the anointing and the power to go and to be the witnesses. And even though the word witness means martyrs, to be the witnesses, to be the martyrs of where the Lord is taking us in that. And so in chapter 1, verses 9 through 11... Let's look at that. 1, 9 through 11. After this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white, and who would that have been? They would have been angels, right? Two men dressed in white. I'm going to place again in here. Stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? 
this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you've seen him go into heaven. And so we see that, that there's the promise that the Lord is gone, but that the Lord is coming again. You know, and one of the phrases that we use, and there used to be in the early days of the outpouring of the Spirit, especially on the West Coast, uh, there used to be the Maranatha. Remember, there were the Maranatha singers, and, and those are involved in that. And, and basically what that was a cry for was, Lord, come quickly. Come quickly. You know, and sometimes I prayed for that. It's like, oh, Lord, you know, this would be a good time to come quickly. You know, this would be a, a good time. But at the same time, you know, that we know if the Lord came today, that that would mean that, that they're outside of that there may be others that didn't have the opportunity to receive him and to be filled with his presence and his power in that. And so it's kind of a, a thing that we need to continually, that tension of that, what the Lord's called us to do. But when Jesus ascended in this verse 1, 9 through 11, that he ascended, as he ascended, they watched. And as they watched, the angels said, you know, the angels spoke back to him and said, he's coming back again. You don't have to worry that he'll be back here again, that there will be a time again that you'll be gathered into his presence. And we see that. You know, sometimes if there's a supernatural occurrence, whether it's, it's something like we saw Jesus or the presence of God or if someone, you know, had an angelic visitation or, or some other things the Lord speaks to us, we have to remember that even when the Lord does ex extreme things in some people or in some times, that we, we rejoice in that, but we put it in its proper place because our focus has to be on the kingdom of God and what he wants to do, how he wants to use us, and to walk in that, that process. Redirecting our focus, that's what was happening here, was they were so focused on what was happening, he said, you know, that's okay, but remember, focus on the coming of the Lord and what he still has yet to do in our midst in that. Redirect our focus. I think that's something the Lord wants to do for us as well. And then uh, chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. The apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called, called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter and John and James and Andrew, and it goes on. It lists uh, those that were there. And verse 14, it says, they were all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And so it says, Peter stood up in those days, stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, brothers and sisters, and he goes on from there. It's interesting here, because when he's standing up, and there's 120 there, during the time that Jesus had been raised from the dead, they've calculated that in all of his travels and those that are there, that he had given invitation to 500 people to come to the day of Pentecost. 500 to come. I mean, an invitation from the Lord to come to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And these are people that had been given the privilege of seeing Jesus alive after the resurrection in that. And even with that, and I don't know if they were late and hadn't set their clocks, or there was a problem with that, you know, or what it was, or what excuse... But it's interesting that even people that are powerfully touched by the Holy Spirit, includes all of us, that there are times that we can miss divine appointments because we're focused elsewhere. And we say, oh, I don't have time. I'll catch it next time. It'll be on DVD. I can watch it there or something like that. We, we focus in that because that's one of the, to me, one of the key things of this passage is the incredible drop-off of those that had an invitation to be there at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit 
and those that didn't come in that. Uh, what, a, what an incredibly sad thing for that time. So Jesus ascended as, as those that were there watching. And, um, and then chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, as we were talking about, um, they went to the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem in the upper room there. And um, uh, as, as they were there, um, this is where the 500 was, I'm sorry. As they're at the Mount of Olives there on the Sabbath day, that's where they came and they gathered where there were 500 that saw Jesus, but in the upper room there was about 120 there for prayer. I think that's one thing that's so important. Is I know that the Lord has called us, uh, and we do this from time to time, but to really called us to intercessory prayer and to really focusing and pressing in and, and, and not just crying out for our, ourselves or our family or our needs, but crying out for our neighbors and crying out for the body of Christ and crying out for, for the purposes of God and the direction of God. That there's such a desire to do that, you know, that, that we need to gather together as well. You know, in, in times that, that we have such as worship here, but then in other times, of just times maybe in twos and threes and maybe over the phone or maybe, you know, maybe over the phone through texting or whatever. But we need to really spend time calling out to the Lord, praying one with another and sharing one with another about that. And so they're in the upper room. They spend time there. And in that time, they're crying out to God. And basically, what they're crying out to God while they're in the upper room is they're crying out for the presence of God. They're crying out for the power of God. They're basically crying out, come Holy Spirit, because they're still waiting. They're waiting for the outpouring. And we see that in chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, Acts 2, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a, a loud, Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Now that's an incredible miracle. It's an incredible miracle that when the Holy Spirit fell, that he began to fall on different ones, and you had all these people that were coming, all those that were there from, from different nationalities that spoke different languages in that. But when the Holy Spirit begins to fall, and, and they begin to speak in this, in this language that they didn't know, in their speaking of it, others that heard it were amazed. because in, And as, if you look at this a little deeper, they're amazed because not only are they speaking in their language, but they're speaking it in, in an articulate way. They're speaking to it clearly with the right accent. I mean, you can go in different parts of Louisiana and talk to each other and wonder if we're in the same country, you know, because if you go to South Louisiana or other places in Cajun and different things like that. You know, accents can be so important in that. But here it didn't matter. When the Holy Spirit fell, the Lord enabled them to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. And people watching here, it says... They were amazed about that. It says that a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken, and it was spoken in a way that they could understand. And that was that they said, wait a minute. That's a paraphrase. Utterly amazed. Wait a minute, they asked. Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? I mean, this was part of the impact 
You know, if it had just been the release of tongues or something like that, then, then people would have said, oh, that's just crazy, that's silly, whatever. But when we see that the Lord brought an incredible anointing of his presence, an anointing of his word here, whereas they're, they're speaking in different languages, they're not just speaking in, in, in languages that, of this or that, they're speaking languages that are specifically addressing those that have come and been drawn to this outpouring of God. And they're hearing God speak to them through the, through the voices of people they know cannot speak that language. Now, that's powerful evangelism. That's what John Wimber used to call, you know, talk about was power evangelism. You know, of where that we have tried so many methods and methods are good and doing other things are good. There's so many different ways of evangelism. But our heritage as a vineyard is the fact that God has called and released us and given us that privilege to, to move and, and be released in power ministry, in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You know, and it may not be as dramatic or as, as wild or as something like this, or it might be more. We don't know that. But that he is hey, one of the parts of, of being uh, his son and his daughter and filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit. Is he's given us the authority and he's given us the anointing to go forth and to touch hearts and touch lives. And so that's something that we want to continually to press in and to do that. And so as, as we see this process of um, they're crying out to God and the Holy Spirit falls. On the day of Pentecost, the day of Pentecost literally, let me just mention about that. It's the, this is in Acts 2, 1 through 13. The, in the second of the three great annual feasts, there were three feasts of this time. There was Passover, um, and that was the celebration of the passing over, you know, of the, of the angel. And you remember in, in the book of Exodus where they, what did they do? They did what, we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper in just a bit. But they took and they got blood of a lamb and they sacrificed and they put it over the doorpost and that sort of thing so that when the death angel came, he passed over. So literally at the day of Pentecost, one of the things that was being celebrated was it was being celebrated that when the sacrifice or the sacrificial lamb was given, that then the judgment would pass over and they would be able to receive uh, from the Lord and, and it not be judgment. And so that was, that was part of the day of Pentecost as well, was the Passover. Pentecost um, was a second of, of great annual feasts, and it was a celebration as well. And um, we have in that time as well, the, it's literally the Feast of Tabernacles. So this was all wrapped around the Jewish culture and what they were involved in, what they were understanding and that sort of thing. And also that... Uh, in this, the Feast of Tabernacles, it was 50 days after Passover. Uh, it's called the Feast of Weeks in that. It's interesting because during this time, the population of Jerusalem went from 100,000 to over a million people. There was an, the impact here, there was impact in the natural, but there was impact in the supernatural as well. And there, a, a huge explosion came from this. And the explosion came from this. You have to go through the whole book of Acts to see that. But the explosion of people came because they were hungry. Because they were, they, something was happening and they wanted to see what was happening. And, you know, it's, it, it's just uh, amazing thing. Someone says, you know, it's a, wow, it, I, I, I forget the, the details of this, but that sometimes if we see a fire, we see something ongoing, everybody comes running because it's something they hadn't seen before, you know, or maybe they want to help or, or try to, to deal with that and, and the other, in other ways that, that are there. 
But we here, the people continually were pressing in. They were excited, and people were coming. They were hearing. They were spreading the word, and it was spreading literally from country to country on, after this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so in chapter 2, um, it, you can read that for yourselves. We, we've addressed that before. And so it talks about they're all together in one place after time of prayer in that. And the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit has come. There's been the release of rivers of living water. You know, rivers of living water. That's one of the things I, I really love about and, and my understanding of the baptism or infilling the Holy Spirit is that it's not just that we're dunked. It's not just that we, you know, we're just pressed under water. It's the idea that we're, we're filled with the presence of God. We're filled with, with the Holy Spirit. Um, John 7, verse th uh, 37. Let me just read that little passage to you. This is when Jesus was alive. He wrote this. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, all right, that would be the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So we see that after the time of Jesus' glorification, that it's set up for this very day of Pentecost. It's set up for the, for the day of come Holy Spirit in that. But it was prefaced by Jesus even during the time of the festival, that the Lord was going to send the living water, the water of his presence, the outpouring of his presence that was going to come in that. And that's, what, again, what we saw in the, in the book there in John 7, verse 37, that we've seen coming up through there. In chapter 2, verses 5 through 13, it says, There were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And it goes through, we talked about that, and, and the different languages they were speaking in that, in that this, again, was an illustration and a confirmation of the presence of the Lord and that the Lord wanted to touch all people groups, all those that were there, not just a few. He desired to touch all in that. Again, they're there for the festival, and uh, they hear the languages. We've already talked about that. And it's interesting because Peter finally had a response in 2 chapter 14 as people are going wrong saying, what is this? We hear these languages, and, we can, and people are speaking different languages, and we can understand this, and what's, what's going on in that? And so what we see is we see Peter responding to that. And he says in verse 14 of chapter 2, Peter stood up to the 11, with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. Because that was one of the things, is when the Holy Spirit started falling, people thought, oh, they're just drunk. You know, they're just intoxicated. Well, they were intoxicated. They were intoxicated with the presence of the Lord, with the outpouring of the Lord. They were being, as we just read in John 7, 37, they were being filled with the waters of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And there was, as it were, you could see where people could think that it was intoxication that, but it wasn't what they were thinking of. And looking at that, Peter says... Um, no, we have here from Acts 2, he says that these people are not drunk, at least not in the way that you think. They may be drunk in the presence of the Lord, but no, they've come in, in reference to the, what the prophet Joel spoke. For Joel said in verse 17, it says here, Acts 2, and it's verse 17 of um, Acts, 22, Acts 2, it says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. 
God's heart is that every person fill the, be filled with the, the inflow of the Holy Spirit and the presence of God and the love of God and, and, and becoming his sons and his daughters. This is God's heart. And in addition to that, it says that our sons and our daughters will prophesy. You know that there's many gifts that we have in the body of Christ in different ways and evangelists and teachers and prophets and that sort of thing. But scripture shows us very clearly that part of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that was released on the day of Pentecost was so that we could hear God. You know, that's one of the kind of a hot button for me and something that's um, really, really been pressed in for, through streams ministries and other places and things that, that I do in a tenant ministry and that sort of thing. But we need to understand that God wants to release through our sons and our daughters. You know, he wants to speak to us, speak through them, through our grandkids. He wants to, to speak through them. As a matter of fact, sometimes I think it's easier for our children to hear from God than it is for us to hear from God. I know many years ago, it's been many, many years ago, uh, but many years ago we were going through a time of where there was some conflict and difficulties. We were dealing with a particular individual that we were trying to, um, to help and, and to bring into a, a place um, that they should be. There was, there was some real difficulties there. But during that time, I remembered that, that our son, um, Jason, who's now in Philadelphia, and, and well, actually, he was down in Austin, hopefully not swimming down there, but he was down in Austin, but they live up in Philadelphia now. But I remember that he was very young, and he would have dreams at night. And the dreams that he would have at night were dreams that he would tell me the next day that were warning dreams to help me understand what to do in relation to this person. And that was coming from our son, you know, in that. And I think that, that God wants to speak to our sons and our daughters, but he wants to speak to us and through us, you know, that he can speak to any age. God's not limited in what age he can speak to. He can speak to all of us at any age at all in that. And, and sons and daughters can prophesy. Young men will see visions. You say, well, I... I you can put yourself here wherever, and they're not just limited to those age groups. Old men will dream dreams. Oh, my servants, men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days, and they'll prophesy, and I'll show wonders. And this was just all quoting from that passage that had been given many, many years before in that, that the pouring of the Holy Spirit, outpouring the Holy Spirit, was the release of God's prophetic power, the release of his anointing, the release of his purposes, the releasing of the Holy Spirit, to flow in the hearts of men, in people. God was doing that and releasing that. You know, when Peter, people kept asking him about it, and he said, um, he said, they're not drunk in the, off of intoxication. They're drunk because they're overwhelmed with the presence of the Holy Spirit and the presence of God. And, you know, you don't have to be the, with all the things of, of drunkenness or whatever as far as wavering the else. For me, when the presence of the Lord comes upon me in my prayer time or other, other times or visitations, when that comes, it's usually not so much that. For me, is it just is an incredible peace, an incredible just the presence of God, the anointing of God, and then from that I can begin to hear, and I can begin to understand, or I may begin to see pictures or, or, or visions or that sort of thing in that process. And, and as I've told you before, that um, peace is the potting soul of revelation, learning to just be at peace and be at rest, and the Lord can speak in those times to us. And so as we wrap this up today, and again, we're talking about next week going on from here and using this just as a, 
as a, kind of a, a jumping platform to go into that today. Lloyd Ogilvie, when he wrote about, this was a, a famous scholar, and he was talking about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the day of Pentecost, and he said this, the greatest need in the church today is for a contemporary Pentecost. And I think that in a lot of ways that's true. You know, we love to go to meetings and this and that and all the other things, but boy, what we really need is another outpouring of the presence and Spirit of God. We need to experience that, not, not just for show or for anything else or, or for gifting, but as a lifestyle, crying out, Oh God, fall upon me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. You know, and that's my cry in, in my house and my family, and it's my cry for, for you guys and for others. It's my cry for the, for the body of Christ, is that God would do that. You know, that the phrase, come Holy Spirit, wouldn't just be a cute little phrase, but it would be a lifestyle that whether we're, we're sleeping or waking or working or wherever we are, that we're carrying forth the presence and the anointing of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your coming and your being born and, and walking among us and teaching that you were willing to be rejected, that you were willing, oh God, to to face the persecution and ultimately to give your blood, to give your life. We thank you, Lord, for that. We thank you for your coming. We thank you for your presence. We thank you, Lord, that you were the sacrificial lamb and that even before you came, you knew the cost. Lord Jesus, thank you for fulfilling the cost. Thank you, Lord, for the shedding of your blood, for the giving of your life. Today is, is um, it's not